Today's reading comes from the book, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. We'll be reading through the NIV, the New International Version, and following your own Bibles or follow on the script up as it's written up here. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God is not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this thing be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Okay, so suffice it to say that um, the average human being is, there's a lot going on inside of us, right? Am I right about that? There's a lot going on. There's a lot of thoughts of the heart, and there's a vastness to a human being that is not seen by those who are looking on. And I know that's true. I know that you're not shallow people here, and that you have uh, some deep thoughts of the heart, deep desires, deep fears, and that is true of everyone you meet. It's an amazing thing about human beings, that, so that what we see on the outside, it's a lot like the iceberg. You only see a little percentage of it. There's way more in there. Uh, just to illustrate this from my youth, uh, when I was in elementary school, we grew, I grew up in a small town, and um, the superintendent of public schools, you all know what that is, right? That's an important position in any town, and uh, he had maybe, at least for what I remember, a, a huge, great, good, positive reputation. Doctor, I won't give the name, partly because I don't remember it, but uh, it was Doctor Somebody, which, you know, that before a name, that means something. And uh, then one night, he, and this gets kind of personal, but he drove his 62 Buick through my father's uh, store front. And that 
was the end of his great reputation. He was under the influence. And uh, they're in a small town. There's whispers, you know, did you hear? And he got on the front page of the local paper. And uh, everything kind of played out. And then you didn't ever hear his name again. And, you know, and I, I don't know if I was eight years old or whatever, but I'm thinking, wow. And, you know, how many times have I said this to myself? Wow. Human beings aren't what they appear to be. Uh, there's a lot going on inside of us, right? I mean, how many, how many times would we have said that um, in our lives? And uh, that's the world we live in. Jesus, here's, here's where I want to go with this. Jesus is the absolute master like no one else of seeing into that a person, into the heart of a person. He can see into your heart right now. That's a little bit scary. He doesn't, he doesn't know about violation of privacy, <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. He looks right into the heart, and we're going to see that in this uh, series over the next five weeks. And I got this, the reason I've, I brought this up here, uh, you know what this is, right? And you know what this is? And he is just, he peels away. I'm going to use this every week. I'm going to get better at this. (laughs) This is what I'm telling you right now. But um, I'll get better at it. Okay. (laughs) But Jesus peels away the layers of the human exterior. And he exposes what's inside. And, you know, can you trust him to do that? Because that's pretty scary. That's what we're going to be looking at. He meets different people in these first, we'll be in just three chapters of John's Gospel. He meets um, different people. We're going to start today with a guy named Nicodemus, who's an insider, an establishment insider. Next week, we're going to meet a woman at the well who is a Samaritan woman who would definitely be an outsider. Different people, different places. Jesus uses different methods, but he un or he peels, he unwraps their hearts. And he does that today. That's, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. I, could, I thought about naming this, this is us, but I, I went with this is Jesus instead. But, um, so when we get inside, uh, we want to learn how he does it. What are some of the ways that he gets into the human heart so that we might learn better how to not have just shallow conversations? I'm all in favor of shallow conversations. If anybody wants to talk about the weather of the Mariners, I can do it. <laughs> They're both depressing, but never mind. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd rather talk about the weather this morning. But um, we need to learn from Jesus, the master of conversations. And so we'll, we'll see that. And then also... There's some unpeeling. He doesn't, it's not a one-time deal. And there's some unpeeling that he may want to do in our lives. So uh, there we go. And I want to make a... Uh, this verse that I'm going to put up here right now is, is going to be... This is also from John's Gospel. We'll get to chapter 5, but not quite as far as this verse. But this is something that Jesus says, that he is always... My Father is always working, and so am I. And then as he goes through the gospel, his own, John's gospel, he talks about the Spirit also working. And we, John is very, um, very good at explaining the Trinity of all the gospel writers. He's the one that focuses on the Trinity the most. So yeah, we could just say God is working. He's always working. And it takes faith to believe that as you look around in this world. Uh, it's one of the, uh, 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 if you can believe that, it'll, it'll change your life. God is always working.
All right, and then here's our, here's our outline this morning. I'm going to go with it, this turbulent conversation. There's an attempt to connect, and there's a non sequitur, meaning uh, a, something that doesn't follow uh, logically. And how does this happen, this um, thing that Jesus is talking about? And then we'll talk about sharing Jesus today a little bit. All right. Let, let me read to you uh, from this passage. By the way, the word, the phrase born again is in here, and uh, we need to clear our heads of that a little bit, because our culture has, loaded, there's all kinds of things loaded onto that in our culture, and let's just try to hear what Jesus says born again is, okay? It's not it anything to do with politics, and it doesn't really have anything to do with morality, which are two things that, you know, if you're born again, that means, you know, you're religiously uptight or whatever that means. Uh, So let's just hear Jesus, what he has to say about it, and we'll be fine. All right. Uh, From the last, I want to begin, I always like to get the context, but chapter 2 of John, he ends chapter 2 by, uh, well, let me read it for you. It's a, uh, a statement that sort of introduces this next conversation with Nicodemus. It says, Many people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing, doing and they believed in his name. So people, people are seeing the signs Jesus is doing, the miracles, and they're believing. And you say, well, that's, that is wonderful. That's exactly what Jesus came to do, and he's getting popular. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. You see, he knows that uh, people who base their faith on miracles uh, have a shallow faith, and they want more miracles, and they don't really want the fullness of who God is. So he doesn't entrust himself to them, for he knows their hearts. He did not need uh, men and women's testimony about uh, what, what a human being is, for he knew what was in a human being. So this, is, this introduces that Jesus can look right into the human heart. Uh, you know, when you go through the airport scanner and you're always wondering if you have something left in your pocket. Well, just, Jesus can do that on the inside. He, sees, he knows exactly the things that are in there. And, uh, you know, you, what's our great fear? That the detector is going to go off and we'll be exposed. Ah, okay, well, um, Jesus can see right, right into us. So we get to this uh, passage in, in chapter 3. Now, there was a man named, uh, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's part of the religious establishment. He is um, well-respected. Uh, he is wealthy, and he is educated, and uh, you know, what else can we? He's, he's probably older he, he, to be a part of that group. That's, there's 70 people in the whole nation. They're part of this group that rules. Uh, the, the Romans give them permission to make some rules, and so there you have him. He's, he's this person, and underneath that, a little bit. Let's just go. When he comes to Jesus, we're going to see that he's he's curious about Jesus, which some of you may be in that place of just curiosity. And Jesus is somebody to be curious about. He fascinates us. He attracts. And, you know, even if, wherever you are, he he produces that kind of reaction. So he's curious. He's also serious about the kingdom of God. I mean, you can tell. He is, he's not coming just for a light conversation. He wants to talk uh, at a deep level about who God is and the things of God. And he is complimentary. He comes with uh, almost flattery. And, of course, if somebody flatters you, how do you respond? If you're a if you're a, a, a weak souled person, you're going to love it. But if you're if you kind of have a healthy, uh, good uh, sense of yourself, you're going to say, "Wait a minute, what's this person want from me?" 
that's, you know, that's, and, and that's what Jesus, that's what chapter 2 was saying, that people were coming to him, wanting things from him, and he doesn't entrust himself to them. He's not going to buy into their flattery. There's a little bit of flattery here. So we pick up on that. But maybe there's also just a little bit of, I need something in my life that this man might have that's part of the conversation. That um, maybe, maybe not a lot, because I have, I have my place. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm religiously and socially and uh, politically connected and respected. But maybe I need something to just kind of top me off. Add, add that little extra spiritual thing that I'm missing. And that, it seems to be the spirit in which he comes to Jesus. And, and we would think, uh, as I read it, I'm thinking, if you pause right there after verse 2, and Nicodemus is, is uh, he's coming at night, which may be a reflection of his, his fear of uh, social uh, peer pressure, whatever, that his buddies in the Sanhedrin wouldn't look uh, fondly upon him coming to Jesus this way. But, but he's, he's wanting to build a bridge it seems, with Jesus. Jesus is this young 30-year-old. He may be 60 years old. He has the reputation that Jesus needs in the establishment. Jesus is anti-establishment. And maybe they could just play ball together, team up together, work together. And you think, as you look at Nicodemus, your heart kind of says, I like this guy. I want them to be friends. And then, mm, this is what a non sequitur is. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, it doesn't logically follow. Jesus asks a question when Nicodemus says uh, all this stuff, and, and uh, I didn't read verse 2 to you, but he says, uh, Rabbi, uh, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. This is the compliment. Uh, for no one could perform the miracles that you do if God were not with him. And Jesus says in reply, I tell you the truth, no one can enter or see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And my English teacher or, or my uh, rhetoric teacher or whoever that is would say, that doesn't follow. I didn't ask, Nicodemus would be right to say, I didn't ask that question. You know? So what, what, is, what is Jesus doing here? He's, he's stirring things up. And this is who Jesus is. This is Jesus. He stirs things up. Do you want to know who Jesus is? That's, this is part of him. And he uses the phrase born, uh, actually, what does it say here? Yeah, born again. It, it, it can actually be translated born uh, from above or born anew. And so here's, let's, let's start with anew, meaning here's what, let's just put it in language because we've heard that phrase born again too many times, at least most of us have. But it means you need to start over. And he's you know, a PhD level. And what, you need to go back to kindergarten. Is basically, and how does that feel when you get, you know, you're the expert and, you, and somebody tells you that? You need to go back. You're like the, uh, the fixer-upper TV, you know, the TV show fixer-upper. You're a house and you think you just need a few things on the walls that's going to finish you off, but you need to, we need to tear this thing. You're a tear down. <laughs> We're starting over. Clear the decks. And uh, the, the, the self that he's bringing, so let's talk about the self. And this apple represents the self. And he's just, you know, beginning to peel. And so I can, how do you do this once you start? I don't know. Uh, 
Are you guys okay with me messing up the baptismal table here? Because I don't know what else to do. All right. He starts to peel away. But then he gets to this, you know, if you peel away the exterior, what happens, well, like an onion. I don't have an onion, but say this is an onion. What happens when you peel away the layers? Where do you get to eventually? There's nothing, right? The good thing about an apple, not only is this a peeler, what else? It's a corer. See, all the women know this. Uh, Men, we need to work on this. And this is dangerous. Don't try this at home. I did not practice this. If you, you don't want to push your other hand here because if... That's what would happen right there. Blood everywhere. Sharon would have to come up and finish this sermon. She's not prepared. Sharon, would you come up and help me do this? <laughs> okay. Well, you get the idea. You, you, you core that thing out of there. And that's what... So you peel away. Not only is it peeling away, but he's saying to, that there's a core self... There's that core part of you, and you have to peel away the real, all that respect stuff that you've earned over the years, and just get down to the true self, the, the real you before the real God. And that, my friends, is scary. It really is scary. And, and I've experienced that, and I know it's scary. Uh, so how, how does that work, and how does, who wants that? I mean, it's hard. And human beings, it's just like dying. It really is like dying to have this happen to you. So I, I want to try to give you an illustration um, from my life. And uh, enough with the apple. <laughs> but this is how, that's how it felt in, in, in my life as I came to Christ. But um, just so you know, it, it's not a one-time deal. Um, when we were moving down here from Alaska, we were on the Alcan, and there's this place in Yukon Territory. It's called Whitehorse. I don't know why, but it's called Whitehorse. And we were on the streets there uh, taking a, a break. And there was a, a young woman who was a street evangelist. And you don't, I, I don't find many street evangelists here in Sammamish. It'd be kind of weird on these streets, I guess. But in this downtown area, and she was, um, I guess you'd say, uh, kind of aggressive in that way. And so she came up to me, and I'm watching her, and she, she asked me if I was a Christian. And I said, and I said, I regret what I said, but <laughs> I, I said, I'm a pastor. And instantly I thought, that's a wimpy answer. <laughs> that's not what, and she didn't like it either. And uh, she pushed me a little further. And, but inside myself, I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's exactly how... Because I felt this defensiveness come up. Like, she's young, and uh, she, doesn't, she hasn't been to seminary, and, you know, she's just, got, she's just out there, and, and not respectful or whatever, and violating and, yeah, and making me feel really uncomfortable. And so I'm a pastor, you know. Let me put that false self in front of her and see if it stops her. Because... And it, it didn't really. She, was, <laughs> she didn't take my cues. Uh, but eventually I realized that I had done something wrong or I would said the wrong thing and I just said, let me say something that I know is true. I just said, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And she, oh, that's good. You know, that was good. And I said, if it's okay with you, I'll pray for you. Because I, I think what you're doing is really good. And, and that was the, how it got resolved. But just that feeling inside myself that I, had, I was hiding behind a false front is what 
Nicodemus must have felt like. He got really uncomfortable. If you watch what he says, and his words get fewer and fewer as the conversation unfolds, as he tries to wrestle with what this Jesus is saying to him as he's being peeled in cord. He wanted to build a bridge to Jesus, and he ends up being cut apart. And um, that doesn't feel good. But the good news is, and this is, you know, you have to hear this on faith, the good news is that Jesus loves you enough to hurt you enough to heal you enough to make you new. And that takes faith. So how's it going to happen? Let's go to the third part. How's it going to happen? And Jesus uses some uh, language here, some metaphor maybe to help us. And he says it's going to be by water and by spirit. And by water, he means, most likely commentators say, he means it's something to do with baptism. Here we go. Uh, The water of baptism, which in that day, and it still has this edge to it, but in that day it implied repentance, that you're going to be peeled apart, cord, whatever, and all those false selves that you've built around your true self are going to have to be deconstructed and uh, done away with in order to receive. And so the, you know, we, we participate in that uh, as part of the thing that we have to do, that dying to self thing. And the Spirit is at work in that as well. One of the things that I've said to people, uh, I haven't said this for a long time, but I, I used to say it all the time, <laughs> made me realize it as I was looking at this passage, is the worst thing that can happen when you get to that place where you're, you're thinking about repentance is that life gets better for you. It takes the pressure off. The worst thing that can happen to a marriage that needs healing is that it gets a little bit better because you, you just go back to your old, way, old ways and you get into these cycles. And maybe you're in a, a cycle right now of some kind. And just to, to allow that, to find that real you and to allow the Holy Spirit, that's where Jesus goes next, the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. The Spirit must do what you cannot do. I was there for the birth of, so Jesus uses natural birth as an imagery for the spiritual birth. And I was there for the birth of our three sons. An amazing time. I, you know, dads always have to be careful when they talk about this (laughs) because um, who's doing all the work? Mother's Day, by the way, is two weeks from today. I'm, I'm giving you a, an early warning symbol here, a sign. Yes, yes. Take note. But what I also would notice, not only that my wife is doing all the work, but that my boys, as, as glad as I am to see them, they didn't, it happened to them, did it not? Didn't it, it just, and for all of you, you were all born. Were you not born at some point? Your mom, yes. It happened to you. It just, you were born. You didn't birth yourself, you, it, it happened to you. This is the work of the Spirit. It's the same thing. The Holy Spirit, he works in that way, and he does what you cannot do. And uh, it's an amazing, it's a miracle. You, if you are a Christian, you are a miracle. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not a miracle. So, just tell, if, you need a, if you need somebody to tell you something good today, just say, hey, I'm a miracle. And, uh, and then don't say it too many times to too many people, or they will... Think you're something else. <laughs> Jesus uses the image of the wind here. So the, the metaphor is the wind. And you can't control the wind. 
You can see it if the, there's no wind out there right now, but if there were, you'd see the branches moving. You see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. And so it comes from whatever direction it comes, and you cannot control it. You have no control over the Spirit. It happens to you. So uh, I want to just close by, what does this teach us about you know, us today? For what's it, What is here for us? Focus a little bit on the application. Uh, first thing we have to be careful with is that, get ready, I don't want to pop your balloon, but you're not Jesus, right? You're not, in other words, you're not able to see into the human heart the way he can. Now, you can get better at, by listening more deeply to the person that's in front of you and to kind of look for the, the clues of whether this is the, the false self or the real self. And to have real self-relationships, true self-relationships with other people is part of the abundant life, folks. I, I hope you have that. Um, and to have those heart-to-heart conversations. I mean, I, I, would, I would love that for you, and I think you would want that for you. So um, just remember and that the person in front of you it, it has a lot going on. They have, they're like an iceberg, and you're only seeing a certain percentage of it. And there's a lot going on under the surface. And don't be satisfied just to know that top part. Look for ways, appropriate ways to, and let them, it has to be reciprocal, uh, revealing yourself in the same way. So that would be one thing that we would take away here. And, and I think another thing that's absolutely critical is to remember, if I can go back there, let me go the wrong way. Back to that verse. Uh, I'm messing with the whole thing here. I just got the lights going. I'm going on the music. Let's just sing, whatever. Yeah. We got, we got this new technology, and uh, it's not my forte. Okay, look at that, look at that. My father is always working, and so am I. That's what Jesus said. Buy into that, grab onto it, eat it, drink it in, take it, let it digest inside of you and live from it. That is such a wonderful thing. To have that knowledge when you're at the grocery store, to have that knowledge when you're at Starbucks, to have that knowledge on the sports field, wherever you are, to know that God is always at work. What does always mean? There's never a time when he's not at work. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He's not on vacation. He is always at work. Boy, to believe that. makes all the difference when you're trying to share the best news ever. And then the, the, only, the other thing I'll add, and there's more here, but it takes time. And so we see, and this is where I want to go with Nicodemus. Whoa. <laughs> the spirit is at work. It takes time. Um, there's, um, so I want to give you a, just a little bit of, of the rest of the story. Nicodemus, this, this conversation with Jesus sort of, fizzles out, but it fizzles out into one of the great verses in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son, and you see it at every football game, and yeah. But it's a great verse, it really is. Uh, but, it, but he, we don't see Nicodemus again until two more times. We see him in chapter 7, and Nicodemus is in this group, remember he's part of the ruling class, and he's in the big meeting of the 70 elders of Israel. And they're, they're saying something uh, in regard to Jesus that they, they want to put him on trial. And, and Nicodemus says, hey, that's not fair. We, we don't do that. 
That's not who we are. And he gets laughed at. He gets laughed at. wonder why somebody would risk being laughed at by their peers. Something's going on inside of this guy. And then we get to the end of Jesus' life in John chapter 19 where he's, he's, on the, he's been crucified. He's now dead, but he's on the cross, dead. And Nicodemus and his friend Joseph of Arimathea, these are the two guys that we know about that were part of that ruling 70. They came to the cross and they, I don't know how they did it, but they got his body down. So there aren't many people that touched the dead body of Christ. And he's one of them. And he did something that the disciples of Jesus, who had walked with him for three years, never did. They, they were all scattered. They were scared to show up. They were in, living in fear. And this man did a bold thing by going and then preparing Jesus' body for burial and putting him in the tomb. So there's that. But this, the other thing to know about that is that, and I don't, this is then, not now, but that was women's work considered, you know, if you're a man, especially a man of... Uh, his reputation, you would never, you'd either be a woman or a slave that would do that kind of thing. You'd never be a man. So he, he look, look at what he's done. Remember how respected he is? He's respected socially, politically, religiously, and he's put all of that at risk. His false self doesn't mean that much to him anymore. He's acting out of his true self at this point, it seems, and he, we could say, has been born again. At least that's what it seems like. So uh, it's not all clear, but that's where the scripture seems to point. So what I'd like to do right now is close in prayer. Let's do that together. And I want you to really, really focus as much as you can and enter in and we'll close. God who is always at work. God who is always at work. Recognize that truth. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always at work right now at work at uh, 11-ish on a Sunday morning. And I want you, each of us, just to ask the question, have I been born a second time? Started over. Have I started over with God? Has the real me given into the real God? The real me, not the persona or personified me, but the core self, the real you. Have you allowed him to do that? And and here's just a simple prayer. God, I need you to make me new. I want to start over. I want to be new. I want to do that right now. And rejoice, if that is your prayer. Rejoice. You are uh, evidence of the fact that God is always at work. And then tell someone. Let us all, uh, in prayer, lift up our hearts to the Lord and say, Fill me with your spirit. I need you today, Lord. Let us, in our hearts, pray something like that. And let the people uh, who are who God has put in your life, let us pray for them. Let us pray for them to come to this same place 
of the real self before the real God. Think of people who are your friends, people who are your family, um, people that you work with, people you go to school with, people who live in your neighborhood. This is where it starts. Who knows who was praying for Nicodemus? Begin with prayer. Because our Father is always at work. And so is Jesus. And so is His Spirit. We pray in the name of God. Amen.